This is from Revelation, verses 15 to 27. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopis, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like, transpa like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Uh, as I said, I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you this morning. Can you all hear me okay? No. All right. How about now? And any better? No? We can go with the podium mic. Is it okay? All right. We'll go with this. Uh, again, I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. It's good to be with you uh, this morning. As I said earlier, our, our service is shortened for an important announcement uh, about a serious and difficult thing. Uh, we're going to have parents, if you've taken children to children's worship this morning, uh, pick up your children after the announcement they will make, which is actually after the conclusion of service. Normally we bring them in for communion. We're not doing that uh, this morning. I'll say more about this at the conclusion of the service. I also just wanted to note an unrelated uh, note that, again, uh, we are grieved by gun violence in our nation with another shooting occurring this time near the Los Angeles area. Uh, we grieve these things and lament them. We are, however, looking this morning at the book of Revelation as we have been, and we are in week four of a five-part series that we're calling All Things New, uh, focusing on Scripture's very last chapters, which is the culmination of the whole biblical story. If you're not familiar with the arc of it, from Genesis moving all the way through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, that the point that everything is hurtling towards is actually the book of Revelation and these very last chapters. The idea that God would not just 
repair things, but would actually restore all that was broken, that something new would come. And in these chapters, we see that vision of what is new, what is coming, which is a new heavens and a new earth with all things, including ourselves, made new. And the point of these chapters in many ways is not to just reveal what is coming, but to get us curious, to get us dreaming about these things, that we might have a curiosity for them, that they would actually shape our hearts now, that they wouldn't just be something that we enjoy sometime in the future, but they are shared with us now as something meaningful for the present. And so our hope is that these things might shape our present as well. Uh, You might be wondering, how does our text do that today? Descriptions about walls and various precious stones, which might seem interesting from a curiosity standpoint, may not seem like they have that much to offer us, but I think there is actually something beautiful there that teaches us about the wonder and the closeness that we will have with God in this new time and space. And so I want to let the text show us those things by looking at just two things, the, the scale and structure of the city, in verses 15 to 21, and the nature of the city in verse 22. We'll have to leave much of the rest of this for another time. Uh, Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we bring our hearts before your word, knowing that you have spoken these things for us, that you have meant these words for the hearts that are here today. That these things were spoken long ago, but with an eye to a people who are not yet your people. And so I pray for all those who are here who may not yet be your people, that they might hear and know this morning that God is good, that there is more that we can imagine for ourselves that you desire and plan to do for us. And for my friends this morning that do know you, I pray that they might hear the exact same gift and encouragement, that there is so much more that you desire for us than we can hope for or imagine. Would you speak to our hearts this morning as only you can? In your name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. We'll we'll reference the text a bit this morning. We're gonna start uh, in verse 15. Uh, If you're unfamiliar where Revelation might be, just go to the very back and basically you're there. Uh, starting with thinking here in this passage about the scale and the structure of this city. Uh, The city has a scale that is actually hard for us to imagine if we really understand just what it's talking about. It's something that has never, ever, ever been seen in humanity. This is the thing of science fiction, really. An angel is measuring what the text says is a giant cube. It is the same length, width, and height. It's equal on all sides, and those sides measure in at something called 12,000 stadia. That was an ancient Roman way of measuring things. Um, It's the equivalent of about 1,500 miles. That's how much 12,000 stadia would be. So that's 1,500 miles in length, width, and height. For reference, 1,500 miles is the driving distance between Boston and New Orleans. That's one side of the wall of this city. Not to mention the height. The tallest building in the world is something like half a mile high. This is 1,500 miles high. It makes anything that we have ever imagined as a great city seem like a Lego set that my kids love to build and play with at home. It is infinitesimally small compared to the scale of the city. It is something truly massive, hard to comprehend. 
but why measure this city and share these massive measurements with us? It's not like God needs to know the size of it and he wasn't sure of it. The city is described as coming down from God, like a gift from God to his people. We don't even hear God asking someone to measure it for him. All we see is the same angel that's been showing John this city now reveal to John the measurements of this place. It seems very clearly that these measurements are given for the reader for John, for those who would hear from him about this city. It's meant to be shared with us. Things are actually for our benefit. How so? Well, they make accessible and tangible things that are hard to grasp, things that are intangible. Giving dimension and description gives you a sense of what to expect. They show, again, that God made us to be tactile creatures and understands, and communion shows us every week, that God relates to us in tactile, tangible ways, that he knows how we are made and he speaks to us in ways that we might understand. And in this speaking, he is helping us understand a vastness and a beauty beyond anything possible by human standards. It is a massive city made of precious metals and gems, that's essentially what all those stones are, gems that would be reflecting the light which is the glory of God in it. Walls that are made of something, gold that is not quite our gold, that is more like a clear glass from top to bottom all around. It's a city that is beaming with light that would be reaching from the earth into space. It is a giant city of light. For further reference and also to the importance of why this is shared, 12,000 stadia, this length of just one side of this city, was also roughly the measured length from one end to the other of the empire of Rome. The power in force in John's lifetime when this was being written. So measured at the, that exact length, and that being only one side of a city shows one empire, one city. It's a reference in some ways to the empire of Rome and the fall of what is powerful and even oppressive in this world. We see that fading away amidst a new city descending from God full of life and light and goodness and glory. You see, the most powerful thing in the world at that time, nothing was at the time of this writing more powerful than the empire of Rome in the ancient world, which was also perhaps no more beautiful than some of the things in the Roman Empire. And we see that will be replaced by something where the length of that entire empire is just one side of the new city's wall made not out of stone and clay, but out of gold, crystal, and gems. It's a city that is measured and structured to show us that what you have seen as powerful in this world, what you have imagined as the best and the most beautiful, the ultimate that anything could ever possibly be in your life, is nothing compared to what God has in store for you. The best things, the most powerful things in this life are a shadow compared to what God will do. 
So the text begs the question of us, what do you see as the most powerful or threatening or beautiful or, or ultimate thing in your life? What's that thing that you think, if I don't have that, there is nothing to make up for it? If that thing comes into my life, I am undone and I have nothing to save me. What is it that you think is so ultimate, so powerful, so life-giving? Revelation says there is something drastically more powerful and beautiful and fulfilling than you can possibly imagine here. That's not saying that our our pains and our fears and the dangers here don't matter. It's saying those things are put on notice by what God will do in the end, that they have no power, they have no scope, they have no scale in the end, no grandeur compared to what God will do in an instant. It draws us to hope in something much greater from God. A hope that all things would be new and newer, perhaps, than we could conceive of for ourselves. And so in that being drawn to a new hope, I want to think not just about the scale of this, but the text also shows us the nature of this city that defies our expectations. If we look at verse 22, the nature of this city is a bit of surprise uh, in one key way. For a city with walls like this, with glory like this, with scale and structure like this, there is no temple. Zero. None. No temple. We would expect, both from the Old Testament, when we see the glory of God dwelling with his people, and with all these stones and walls and gates and being told that the the glory of God is there, you would expect a temple of some kind. And temples really are meant to draw us into the presence of the divine, to turn our hearts and our thoughts beyond ourselves and our, our separation from God back to God. So it's surprising that in God's new city, the place of vibrant life with him, enjoyment of him, which is exactly what worship is about, the enjoyment, the love, the desire of God, that in a place where that is paramount and shining throughout all of creation, there is no temple. It's curious. But the text doesn't reveal that to us as a letdown of some kind. Rather, it's revealed as a surprise of joy. Because if we think back to the Old Testament, there was great uh, separation. There were courts, there were curtains, there were walls, there were barriers in the Old Testament temple between the worshiper and God. There was a necessary distance that we ought not cross. Scripture says that you could not simply walk into the presence of God as you were and live. There was a distance between man and God that could not be crossed because of sin. Because of the deep desire in us for something from God as our God. Rather than God. As the source of life and fulfillment for ourselves. That that deep desire of putting hope for something in this life that, that in the end only relies on God for life. On trying to draw water from an empty well, on trying to have sustenance from sand. That sin makes us hate and distrust 
him because we want something other than him. That, that distrust, that, that put distance between us and him, separated us from him, removed the closeness that we had with God in the beginning where there was no temple with Adam and Eve in creation. There was just walking with God. Not only that, was there this separation between us, at least in the desires of our hearts, but sin, that, that hate, that distrust, that difference, that corruption of our, our nature cannot survive in the presence of God any more than dross can survive in a furnace. Evil cannot stand in God's presence so we couldn't be near God as we were, even if we wanted to, with this, this corruption stuck in our hearts. And yet God, for all of that, would not see us destroyed, nor would he abandon us. So he engaged throughout the Old Testament. But there was always some separation. And even now, there is some separation. Then there was a cloud, a voice, a curtain, smoke, a wall. Now we believe we have the Holy Spirit by the gracious gift of God, and yet we do not yet see him face to face. That is a one-day promise, as Paul says, and not a today promise. There is, until all things are made new, still some separation. There is presence, but separation because of sin. And yet here, at the very end of all things, with all things made new, it is simply God himself shining without any filter, without any distance, without anything in the way between you and God, the infinite and the almighty, the glorious and the beautiful, no more separation. All presence and no distance. It's a dramatic reversal. Closeness with the divine in the truest sense. And the conviction of revelation and scripture as a whole is that this closeness has come about through the one who is the new temple himself. Jesus Christ, the lamb, as our text refers to him. He, by taking our sins upon himself at the cross, put the distrust and separation of sin to death that was in our hearts, in his own body there, doing the unthinkable by loading sin upon his own soul, separating himself from life and from the source of life, God the Father, even as we were separated. So that when we put our faith in him, not so that when we do some sort of work or act on our own, not when we have finally gone into the temple in a certain way, so to speak, when we've finally done a certain set of practices, but simply by putting our faith in him, the old us, the us that wanted separation rather than closeness, dies with Christ on the cross. Because he was separated, when you believe in him, you were separated in that sin that he died for there as well. It is put away. What was separation between you and God is exchanged in Jesus Christ for unmatched, unbelievable closeness. Even as you are today. Though you do not experience that closeness with your senses, that closeness is absolutely true because the finished work of Christ says that whatever was separating you is separating you no more. Because of Jesus, the divine 
is ours without separation and without some sort of effort on our own. In that, we see God moving towards us. So often, doesn't it feel like maybe if you come to, to church or if you were to find yourself in, in a temple or, or whatever it may be, a cathedral, that you might feel like that, that you have to go walk somewhere, you have to go show up somewhere, you have to go make a pilgrimage to finally encounter God, that, he, that he's hiding from you, that, that you have to go and seek him out, that he won't make himself known to you, that there is somewhere far off. But our text shows us a God who has moved all separation that he might come close to you. That there would not be some far off place that you have to go, but there would be a closeness that God brings toward you. Not keeping his distance, but giving you the desire of your heart. The desire of the worshiper in the temple is their God, but distance separates the desire from the having. Here, all such distance from the divine is removed. Because of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ, God comes close. And in the end, what we now experience as distance, as separation, will only be closeness in glory and beauty unimaginable. Friends, this is the hope of the Christian life. Not feeling a little bit better about yourself not a marginal improvement, not culture wars in our society, not power in politics, not an elevated status in society, not a good and comfortable life. The ultimate hope of the Christian life is that you are in eternity with God, the divine, without any separation for all time and for nothing that you have to pay. The hope is for something so much greater than we would let ourselves imagine. And the cost is so much less than we assume we have to pay. See the love of God in giving you more than you expect and giving it to you for so much less than you thought you would have to pay. In closing, let me give you just two brief notes of application. I want to encourage you to expect and to wonder, to internalize this hope in our heart, to expect, to expect more. Do you have small expectations of God in your life? Do you not think he can do very much for you today? Do you not expect him to show up in power for you? Do you assume that because you are small and finite and limited, that he is small and finite and limited? Revelation says, give up your small expectations and receive a future that exceeds them all and is promised to you just by grace. Expect a God who desires to come close to you, even you. And secondly, wonder. Have some wonder and Revelation's promise that the end goal is to remove all barriers between you and God. Doesn't all of life feel like some sort of barrier between what you want and hope to have and what you actually have? 
some sort of barrier for how hard I have to work, for the health that I don't have, for the relationships that I want to have, for the kind of life that I think I ought to have. All of life feels like some big barrier that I am constantly working to overcome. Have wonder at the fact that God, who is the removal of all barriers and the gift of all goodness in life, that that is the promise of him to you, that whatever you have now, that is not the end of the story. Have wonder at the idea that God would remove all distance between you and himself and do that on a massive, beautiful scale. Wonder at the fact that the promise of redemption is about so much more than just being forgiven and having a clear conscience. It is about restoration of all that was lost, about being back in perfect relationship with God forever. To being safe and free and whole. It's almost beyond us to wonder at that, but I would encourage you, mix this in to your thought life this week. Find some moment to come back to these pages and just dream about a life like this for a minute and see what that does to our souls. It's worthy of our wonder. Would you pray with me? I'd like to give you just a moment as we usually do to respond to these things in your hearts. Invite you to to thank God that his desire is to come close to you or to confess ways that, that you just haven't had any interest in being near to him. Ask God to, to draw you near to him. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would hear these prayers and that you would be that wonder in our hearts that you have put on these pages, that it would move from the page to our hearts and that our hearts would move with it into your hope and glory, that we would be indeed anchored in the promise of that future, unmoved in the end by the waves, no matter how much they may push us or toss us, we are held fast to this one promise, that we will in the end have God with us. Hear our prayers, Lord. Amen.